0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I'm
0: doing straight... How are you doing? I'm doing straight in. Okay. What do you think? It's different. I'm Greg Tita.
1: I'm Shelly Mazanoble.
0: We've got an awesome show for you today. We do. We have Jim Zub and Patrick Rothfuss. We do have an awesome show. We talked about a lot of uh, comic book stuff. Yep. Yeah. If the... that's your
1: jam, you're going to love this show.
0: As well as uh, just fantasy, sequential storytelling in general.
1: Or just... Two cool
0: hosts. Two cool hosts <laughs> named Shelley and Greg. <laughs> then you'll also enjoy the show. Forget about the guests. Yeah, no bueno on them. Do
1: you think people really listen for the guests? I
0: don't think so. They really just want to hear us. The w- it up intro. in here.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: no! This is the opposite of witty. Love, what are you talking about? I like when. Things like that are said, and then I look at Ryan, and he gives us the, oh, am I going to edit that out? I don't know. We'll see if he can I think that on. he should, and it should just be, we're going to bleep it up in here, and people can speculate <laughs> on what that—
0: It could be in many different things. It could be uh, uh, rolling dice. Eat. Eat. It up in here. <laughs> That's why you would have to edit it because <laughs> we would have heat. lots of crunching sounds. Yeah, yeah, we don't want those on the microphone. We are here with two amazing guests who call in to this Dragon Talk show.
1: A little shock jocking. That
0: was a little right? shock jocking. Who are they? Jim Zub, Patrick Rothfuss
1: are here today
0: to throw down
1: on comic
0: books Bom. and Rick and Morty. Also, uh, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons versus. Rick and Morty. and Morty off the top rope. What?
2: Whoa! whoop,
0: bam! <laughs> that's that's what's going to happen in this interview. Yep, it's true.
1: Probably some belching.
0: Um, it was a really fun. I like talking to those two gentlemen.
1: Yeah, because they're just pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, and they make me laugh a lot.
1: They made me laugh
0: too. Um, as do their words. Their words on uh the comic books as well as the press release. Yes, <laughs> yes. made me laugh a lot. Okay,
1: seriously, good quotes there. Yeah, no, you gotta love that. When I can't wait. Give you a good quote.
0: I'm so glad that I sh- I pointed it out to Pat, and he's like, "I don't remember ever saying those things." I'm like, "Well, that's that's more Rick and Morty thing than you could possibly ever say." Yeah, yeah.
1: You were deep, deep in the Rick and Morty mm-hmm. when you
0: said that. Deep, deep. You were deep in the chocolate and peanut butter Weird when that was chocolate. all happening. Yep. Um, so issue number one of uh, Rick and Morty versus Dungeons & Dragons is out in comic book stores right now. And I think issue two is coming hot on its heels.
1: Which cover would you get of issue one? Because there's like 9,000. There's like 25 different or, covers. Or
0: 25. Uh, or 9,000. Uh, somewhere in between there. I mean, yes. It's a huge range. Yes. Um, and they're all awesome and super they cool. Are. So go to your local comic book uh, store and figure out how to how to get one of those because they're cool.
1: People are loving this. Loving? The comic book. Oh, I thought you
0: were talking about our podcast.
1: Oh, the, <laughs> our podcast,
0: they're um, loving it too. Rick and
1: Morty versus D&D. Yeah. They're loving it. How could they not? I don't know. It's, it's like just a match made in hell.
0: Well, those two writers, I think, did uh, an excellent job of uh, putting together both – of those fandoms into one thing. They're yes. very knowledgeable in both, and it doesn't feel like an artificial like um, references or anything like that. It's all part of the story, uh, which which I really appreciated when I was reading through those those hallowed pages. And it's in interesting
1: to hear the creative process. It's true, and how that works.
0: Uh, you know what also is interesting to what? hear about the creative process. What? Um, putting together a book like Waterdeep: Dragon Heist.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It
0: is really interesting. Uh so uh that book is out in stores now everywhere you can yep. pick it up and uh start playing with it. It's a great way to introduce uh new players of Dungeons and Dragons as well as perhaps lapsed players. It's uh starts off Poke in u- an urban setting and uh, Bring you're in. you're ready to go. This
1: might be a little different than what some people would expect. There's in not D&D.
0: a lot of dungeon crawling or like you know urban. that whole thing. It's it's you're you're in an awesome city uh with its own uh, dangers and uh, opportunities in it.
1: Are you enjoying clerical error? I
0: am enjoying clerical so, error. I
1: think I've seen a lot um, on the Twitters yeah. about people who are really enjoying it and they seem to really like your character.
0: I really like my character too. Oh. His name is Fabian. Uh He can no longer see. He was looking at the sun for too long. Uh, oh, he, was no. a, he was a cleric of Lathander and oh. uh, he was forced to look at the sun by a very... Well, we haven't even gotten to this backstory part yet, but it's there. Uh, but now he's follower of uh, the nature goddess of Maliki and wants to clean up Waterdeep with his cohorts in the Dung Sweepers Guild.
1: Okay. There's a lot of fertilizer to be held
0: in the Dung Sweepers Guild. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a very cool um, street-level kind of way of thinking about uh, storytelling in the urban setting of Waterdeep while all of the stuff of Waterdeep Dragon Heist is going around. It's a way to use the city – in uh, that's that's detailed in the book in a way that doesn't necessarily have to follow all of the plot points in the book.
1: It's interesting that you're playing a character that is blind. Yeah how how do you do that?
0: I actually spoke to a uh, player. His name uh, Blind Temple on Twitter. Uh, oh. he uh, is a wonderful uh, resource uh, as well as you know he kind of takes it on his 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 life mission to. Uh, make sure that people who are, are sight, who have sight, you know, can, can can learn about what it is like to be blind. Not necessarily as a blind character or as a blind player, but he was a perfect resource to be like, "Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this?" And uh, yeah, he was fantastic. So um, I like the idea of playing as a blind character that's not really like the defining characteristic. Really, right. like he's just he's a character and he just can't see, and yeah. he's uh, able to go on adventures with his uh, cohorts and 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 support in a clerical way as much as he can. Yeah, That's
1: really cool.
0: Yeah, it's been super fun. And uh, he's uh, crazy and snarky, just like uh, oh. the rest of the group are.
1: Do you ever think about Daryl?
0: I do think about Daryl Two-Shoes. Do you? Yeah. He was, he was the straight-laced uh, brother of Drunky Two-Shoes, Yes. born in the same litter yep. as a tapaxi.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you think you want to bring uh, Drunky Two-Shoes back?
1: She is back.
0: She's back. She's somewhere,
1: I don't even remember where we were.
0: We were in Chult, I believe. Right?
1: Oh, was that where we were? Yeah. Well, she's somewhere in Chult looking for her, no, Nathan's adventure.
0: Oh, you've been using her in there. I've forgotten.
1: Wow. Oh, easily forgotten. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow. Cut you deep. That
1: was her too, yeah. and she was on a mission to find her brother, Daryl, <laughs> who may or may not have died from the death plague.
0: I think he died from the death plague. Do you? Yeah, he was just too straight-laced. He was, uh, he was feeling it.
1: Feline in it, feline in it. Wow, <laughs> ah, <that's laughs> so
0: uh, so maybe we'll bring it back in uh, Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage that's coming out in November.
1: All right, we'll
0: have the Two Shoes clan reunited.
1: Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. I feel so bad for Drunky. Uh,
0: that book uh, details a uh, sprawling dungeon below the city of Waterdeep. Whoa. 23 levels, I believe, uh, are a lot detailed. Of it is the domain of Halaster Black Cloak, uh, but there's lots of different uh, adventures and storylines that go between levels. Some of them are self-contained on individual levels. All of them have areas on the levels that you can expand upon and put your own little fun twist on it uh, because it it, uh, it continues ever, on, ever and anon. Uh, it also details all about Skullport, the town below uh, the city of Waterdeep where ne'er-do-wells hang out, such as... Drunky Two Shoes.
1: She's probably just there looking for her brother.
0: She's probably there looking for her brother thinking he had washed up on the, uh, the dark wash lake. He not
1: up anywhere. She believes he's alive in her
0: heart. Nine lives. They do have at least nine lives, it's true. Uh, so yeah, that'll be exciting. Maybe we'll see uh, Drunky Two Shoes uh, open up a chain of barbecue places here in the Seattle Maybe. Area. Yeah, you never know. Oh. Uh, there's also Dungeon Mayhem coming out in November, November 16th. Yay! It is a fantastic card game that's super easy to learn. It takes two minutes to explain it to someone. A game is played in in less than 15, probably less than 10 minutes, really.
1: Probably, depending
0: on the game. Uh, And you just want to start playing again, like immediately. You play as four different characters, paladin, barbarian, wizard, rogue. You each have your own deck of spells or abilities that you can use out there. The iconography is super... Uh, evocative and the artwork is really cool what's so, the name of the artist again
1: Kyle Farron Kyle Farron you can probably see him on t- on the Twitters
0: he is the designer of uh, the images in Root yes this is a board game out there that's climbing up the charts sure is Indie Darling yes uh, so check that out uh, you also have um, an Indie Darling climbing up the charts it's not really Indie it's but it is it indie. is Darling uh, those, those creepy kids in Betrayal Legacy
1: uh, the little girl
0: yeah sorry
1: why do you think she's creepy?
0: She's probably got some issues.
1: Why would you say that?
0: Because it's a horror-based
1: game. Because <laughs> she's standing <laughs> in front of a big haunted house.
0: Exactly. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. It's so good.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. Can you? I cannot. Do you want to play? Yes.
1: I feel like I have enough copies now that I can <gasps> finally crack one open. and we You can have start copies? Playing. Yeah. Did you see the boxes by my desk?
0: I mean, I've seen mock-ups of the box. No, Mox of the box.
1: No, so there are boxes, mox of the boxes, <laughs> locks of the boxes. Is there locks? A rock in the box. Is there locks in the box? There's a fox in the box.
0: <laughs> Where did you keep your rocks? He's
1: eating locks.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to say the other one that's coming to mind. Uh, so, what's the name of our uh, the president of Wizards of the Coast? Oh, that one. Yeah.
1: Nope, didn't even go there. No. Nope.
0: Socks. Socks? Um, are we socks compliant?
1: Oh my god, I
2: remember that.
0: <laughs>
1: we are. Um, what were we saying? Betrayal, Betrayal Legacy. Legacy. We're gonna open up
0: a box of locks, rock, socks, and, and we're play. play the game. We're
1: gonna play, but you have to commit to playing the whole campaign.
0: Oh, I'm committing. Okay. I can commit. Okay. I've been married for fourteen years. I can commit. Oh,
1: whoa. All right. I'm we in. gotta figure out who else we want in there.
0: Probably only cool people. So Ryan's out, Um, Pelham's out, Nathan's out. Yeah, might just be us. I mean Bart. No. (laughs)
1: Uh, All right, so it'll just
0: be Matt Mercer and Chris Perkins then. Okay, good. Yes. All right, done. Okay. All right, Um, or Jim Zeb and Pat Rothfuss. Ooh, Jim Zeb and Pat Rothfuss.
1: Because this is now. you
0: know, that's the interview that's coming up. What we're out. talking about? It's true. Okay. We're, we're cluing in on future interviews Brought you may be able to hear. Oh,
1: that was an Easter egg. That's an Easter egg. That's
0: good. Uh, what else can we talk about before we get to the segment here?
1: Extra Life. Oh, yeah. Extra Life. Let's do that. It's a, I am participating this year.
0: For the first time. For You're going to be streaming time. live. Yep. Well, Doing it. Other than this show. than this. Yeah.
1: But this is just me talking.
0: Are you nervous? Totally. Are you excited? Yeah, I am. Are you uh, sweating
1: right now? Right now? (laughs) Always. (laughs) Powder! I need powder! Uh,
0: That's going to be really exciting. Who are you going to play? Are you going to play as Drunky Two-Shoes?
1: No. Oh, uh,
0: you're opening it up.
1: Yes. I'm actually playing a ranger. (gasps) Oh, right. So here's my strategy. Okay. I'm actually going to play a character that I don't normally play Mm Mm-hmm. Because then I feel like it's okay for me to not know what the hell I'm doing. Of course. Like if I rolled in there, I'm like, I'm a wizard. And everyone's like, she always plays a wizard. And I'm like, what dice do I roll? How do I cast this spell? Then people are going to be like, oh my God, she doesn't know how to play. (laughs) Which is true
0: for most of... That's not true. I'm you second-guess yourself a lot. I well, you actually I say the right answer 90% of the time. I do? You do. You're always like, is this the thing I'm supposed to be doing? And we're like, yes, you know the rules. Just, you got this. You got this. You got this. Yeah. Well, I'm still going to be a ranger. Well, the good thing about a ranger, too, is that you basically have two options. You either, like, shoot it with a bow. Right. Or you try to track I feel like I'm it is.
1: probably going to miss blowing things up with magic.
0: You won't be able to do as much of that. That's true.
1: But I get an animal?
0: You could get an animal, a cute little kitty, perhaps. I get drunky two shoes. Well, I mean that's kind of like slavery, so let's not go there. But you could have a, I mean, because the Tabaxi is a, a sentient, you know, creature. That's not how I was your animal companion is oh. like a is like your you know like a pet more more. Well, akin I was thinking
1: to. of her like as a kitten. Oh, like yeah, a baby. I don't really want a cat. You know why? Because I have a cat in real
0: life. Get something crazy like a mastodon
1: or an elephant.
0: That's right. What, what a is.
1: pack elephant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a trend here. Pack elephant? This was the last time you played with junkie two shoes. You were like fighting for a pack elephant the whole I time. I
1: had a pack elephant. You guys made me leave him and Cholt. And then he died. He didn't die. We haven't <laughs> gone back yet.
0: It's so you're searching. Me a fortune. You're searching for uh, Daryl Two Shoes and your elephant who is named.
1: Jeepsy. Jeepsy. <laughs>
0: These are very evocative names. Uh, yeah. All right. Cool. Well, that's going to be super fun when you play in Extra Life on November so, 3rd. Raising money for Seattle Children's Hospital. Uh, you have a page.
1: I have a page. Go Lou it. You can, you can donate to my page. Donate
0: to Donut. the page. Donate.
1: People have been very generous.
0: I believe you're beating out Bart, right? I am
1: because he's like really bad at self Promotion. Like, you're not promoting you. You're promoting helping kids.
0: Exactly, right? Don't talk about yeah. you. Talk about how everything is going to be benefiting Who doesn't help the, kids. the Chitlins.
1: So it's just, it's, it's
0: hard. You also have the same friends. And so you're drawing from the same pool. We are. Yeah.
1: My mom donated to his campaign last year and she was like, uh-uh, i'm doing yours this year. Sorry, Bart. Sorry, Bart. So he lost a
0: big donor. Well, he's going to have to, you know, work on the charms for Judy. Yeah. Then get some, uh, some good donations flowing in
1: you're playing right
0: i uh, I'm playing as part of critical uh, clerical air oh right okay and uh, yeah you can donate to that page I have a whole bunch of stuff on there that you can do i think it's extralife org slash d d find out everything you can there you can also go to uh, uh, wizards uh, dnd com slash extra life oh okay. if you want to go to that that's easy. One you can see the whole
1: there. team, everybody playing on our team.
0: That's right. Yeah, and there's all the schedule. Everybody who's going to be playing. We're going to be starting off uh, on November third, as I said, with three games here in the office. And then all of our stream games that week will be uh, supporting Extra Life, and then we'll be closing it out at Hole Con with some crazy, fun, uh, celebr not celebrity, but like you know, lar- large form games, including one that has, uh, I believe, Matt Mercer in it. Cool. Which we forgot to mention, and we were talking about it. Oh, uh, well, well. anyway, Easter egg. Good fun stuff, hanging out. We have This This intro is full of Easter eggs, but it's not even Easter. It's fall.
1: It's fall. So
0: they're fall pumpkin spice eggs. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just uh, Cadbury <laughs> cream eggs, but no, those are Easter. But do they have a pumpkin spice version of
0: <laughs> Probably. There was definitely a pumpkin spice version of everything. Yeah. Including um, banana bread. No, I don't
1: know. Oh, my God. Can I just tell you, there's some pumpkin tortilla chips at Trader Joe's right now. What? Get them. Get
0: them while they're hot. Oh, my God. They're so good. Super cool. They're really good. You know what else you should get while it's hot is a podcast of Waterdeep. Listen to that on our Dungeon Delve
2: uh, RSS feed.
0: There's 10 episodes from a whole bunch of podcast live play uh, creators from the D&D community. Uh, including uh, North by North Quest, Dragon Friends, Taking Initiative, The Broadswords, Adventure Maidens, Jeez. Dungeon Drunks. Yep. You meet in a tavern, drunks and dragons. Whoa. And uh, uh, a couple of other awesome guest dungeon masters close it on out. It's a fantastic continuous storyline. Yeah, it's super great. Yep. Yeah. Um, the entire thing is posted right now, so you can learn about what it's like to uh, adventure in Waterdeep uh, using some of the stuff that's in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I'll do that. Do it. Up. Doing it. All right, everybody. I think it's time to listen to a segment.
1: We shall not keep the people waiting. We shall water. not.
0: We shall not. And in this one is a special segment. We uh, have a lore you should know with not Chris Perkins, but with Mr. Ari Levich.
2: Cool.
1: Telling
0: us all about some of the fun stuff that's happening in Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica.
1: Good. So, Glad to see Ari yeah. getting some voice time
0: it's some good lore uh, I have to tell you he's full of lore he's basically full of everything he's full of it. including Loses lore who's lore
1: sat <laughs> yeah. so next to his, him in a meeting today that's
0: why his beard is so lustrous because yeah. there's all that lore over
1: it oh you're so glistening <laughs>
0: <laughs> well before before you ruin your image of Ari let's, uh, let's listen to it right okay.
1: now okay
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by a newcomer it's to my the first lore. time here. That's yeah. right. Hey, Ari, how are you?
4: I'm doing all right. Excited to talk about uh, some Ravnica and some of the uh, the bits in the uh, in the world.
0: Nice. Yeah. Uh, so,
4: uh, real quick, why don't you introduce
0: yourself and what what you do here for the Dungeons and Dragons team?
4: Yeah. So I'm I'm relatively new to the D and D team, uh, but. This month, I celebrated uh, five years as a wizard. Woo. So yeah, I uh, was on Magic, uh, doing world building for them. So this is a kind of a special, a special uh, kind of a moment for me. Um, get to kind of uh, mix these uh, these two things together. Uh, but on, on DD, I am now a narrative designer, so I get to uh, ask Chris Perkins a lot of questions.
0: Nice. And you've been working hard on Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? Yes. Which is coming out uh, on November 20th, I think, everywhere. Is that true? I believe that's true. Okay, yeah. Um, I should have it pulled up. But uh, in honor of that impending release, we wanted to talk about uh, some of the guilds that are on that plane. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, what are, yeah, why don't you give us some kind of an overview on what's going on in Ravnica?
4: So you asked me to talk about, uh, it was like two or four guilds going into this, and I think we settled on four. And I was like, there are ten guilds. This is really hard. <laughs> so I need to figure out which ones I want to talk about. And so it got me thinking about how, when we were doing world building, this was back on when I was on the Magic team, and they were gearing up to do the card set that's coming up. Um, we started doing a lot of thinking about the relationships between the guilds and how... Um, how guilds kind of relate to one another. And we started uh, com- noticing that there are these uh, kind of dichotomies that exist in the t- with the 10 guilds. Mm. And you can kind of break it down by kind of, if you look at different, you know, two sides of a coin, you can start looking at the different guilds and how uh, each one kind of is a face of the same coin. And so I chose two of these, <coughs> excuse me, two of these uh, dichotomies to really explore. And so one of them is uh, this dichotomy of that the two guilds are the Slesnia and the Golgari. Okay. And these two guilds are all about um, kind of— uh, uh, Let's start with one of them. Let's go with— Oh, sure. What's, uh, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, Ravnica
0: is a city-based plane with yeah. uh, the, the whole power structure is centered in these ten organizations, which are called guilds, right? Yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, this is a whole uh, world-spanning uh, city. And, yeah, uh, like you said, the whole thing is broken down uh, into, uh, into these ten guilds. And these guilds aren't necessarily about, like, the territory they occupy. It's not like this is the Silesnia part of town. Mm. All ten guilds are, are present all, over the, all throughout the city. Uh, what really kind of characterizes them is uh, their worldview, their philosophy. Oh. And so people aren't born into these guilds. The, uh, the guilds recruit or people just join, join the guilds based on, on, on their worldview.
0: Um, okay, so they're almost like 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 uh, uh, opt-in religions in a way.
4: Yeah, kind of. It's funny because the Selesnia is actually the closest one of the closest to a religion. There are two kind of more uh, religious-oriented guilds, and the Selesnia is one of them. Okay, cool. Uh, so thank you for for that lead-in.
0: No problem. Yeah. yeah. So what what what's uh, Selesnia all about?
4: So in a kind of in a world-spanning city. Um, it could be very easy to not have anything that is that is natural or anything that is uh, anything that is green mm-hmm. and the Slesnia uh, really advocate this notion that society civilization actually and and nature can can live together um, and so they kind of live at that kind of cross section uh, or that the crossroads of those two two elements but their big thing is how they want to have see a society organized they are very much a um, communal uh, Communal guild. They believe that you know the greater good is more important than the the needs of the individual. So when you join mm. the Slesnia, it is all about kind of joining something that is larger than yourself.
0: Interesting. Is there a like a cult like uh, figurehead at the top of this guild?
4: It, not necessarily a cult. Well, I guess it's all point of view. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the all the guilds have a guild master, uh-huh. and the guild master of the uh, of the Slesnia is a um, is a dryad that has. That has um, basically three bodies, three bodies that all connect together in like a trunk. Um, oh, so, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, she's a dryad that has uh, kind of three three bodies that embody um, three element aspects of of the Selesnia, which is harmony, life, and and order. Um, when you say
0: three bodies, is it three separate bodies, or is it like a like you said, is a dryad that it's it's one entity?
4: It's it is a one central entity, like a central trunk, like a tree, and uh-huh. then it branches out into three three like torso and up uh, dryad bodies. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah.
0: It's, is it fixed or can it move?
4: Uh, it is. It, it can move. It could. It, can, it can move, but it, it stays usually in um, something called the uh, something called Vitu Ghazi, which mm. is the city tree of the Silesnia. And it is there that the whole, all of the Selesnia um kind of try to follow the will of the world soul and it's known as Mott Salesnia, which is what where the guild derives its name.
0: Okay. Yeah. So this entity that you're talking about that is the guild master is a tree.
4: More or less. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is uh yeah, no, it is a um yeah, a multifaceted uh tree-like entity uh, yeah a, a dryad yeah interesting yeah
0: and you said it does, does it have three heads
4: it does three bodies Yeah, three torsos and up yeah
0: and do the three uh, different heads have different personalities they do
4: they do and um, most of the time they are um, they are in sync with one another all kind of advocating the will of Mount mm. Um where this book kind of opens uh, where uh, the Guildmasters, Guide, the Guildmasters Guide yeah um it kind of takes place, if you were, if those of you who are uh, fans of the card game, um, this takes place right after the events of the previous time we were in Ravnica. Okay. Uh, so, um, as a lot of the, all the guild masters are the same as uh, from that time period, but things are getting a little precarious in the city. Mm. And so, we're seeing pretty much for the first time that Tristani, who usually speaks essentially in one voice, all three of these kind of uh, beings speaking in one voice, um they're actually, uh, there's some discord between them. So there's a, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, disharmony.
0: Wow. Yeah. Which is pretty much against what the guild is all about.
4: Yeah. So wow. yeah. So it's essentially, it's going to have to be. You know, this is this is one of the possible seeds for an adventure, um, or kind of a larger campaign, is reconciling uh, uh, this potential issue.
0: Do do the three parts of this guild master have their own names and Do they have their own followers? Like, is it almost like there are now factions within the guild? No, it's more like
4: um, just following – it is less a cult of personality uh, and more uh, trying to always follow just the will of the world soul itself and Mm. being connected to nature in a way that other guilds – or the way they would see that other guilds are not.
0: Is the discord coming from uh, different interpretations of what that soul is saying?
4: Uh, Potentially. Yeah, Yeah, potentially that thing. It it is basically very much that – the whole kind of premise of Ravnica is that it is bound uh, by the magic of, this, uh, of the Guild Pact, which is basically this, this treaty that forces these ten guilds to be in balance with one another. Mm. Uh, through the events that have happened on Ravnica, this, the power of the Guild Pact has been uh, imbued inside of an individual, and this person is Jace Beleren. Mm. Jace, however, is a planeswalker, and he's one of those individuals who could actually travel from plane to plane, and as he's dealing with things that are, are problems that are larger than one world, he, he has left behind uh, a, a, the world of Ravnica that is, in, is very much in need of that balancing force. And I so kind of now the guilds are left to their own devices to uh, kind of figure that out. I get it.
0: All right. So what did the rank and file of the Celesdian kind of feel like?
4: So the selesnians are kind of a kind of flatter organization than many of the, uh, <laughs> the other guilds. Um, They're the valve of uh, yeah, the guilds? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, and... They, uh, they basically, instead of having tons of ranks because uh, they're very much a communal organization, they'll have different – they'll have specialized roles. And so uh, you might have people that are evangels who go out and try to recruit for, uh, for the Slesnia. Mm. Um, but Slesnia aren't just kind of a bunch of uh, kind of hippie communists. They also understand that to, to survive in a place like Ravnica, you have to gird yourself for conflict. And so uh, – Patrolling uh, Slesnia like uh, Slesnia grounds are uh, individuals called Ladev Guardians, and Ladev Guardians are wolf riding knights. Ooh. Or there might be equinauts who uh, are uh, kind of like air cavalry who ride on, on Pegasi What? And yeah, That's and super uh, cool. Yeah, and um, so or you might be um, a, a votary who is de- uh, de- designated to protecting one of the uh, these temple gardens that uh, that Slesnia used to worship at.
0: Wow! Yeah. All right. So, I want to ride a wolf.
4: Yeah, that's actually kind of the big draw. Is like, okay, where where do I sign up to ride a wolf? That's that's the guild I'm going to play. Right. So. And then
0: the riding Pegasi is yeah. always like yeah. super cool. I had a whole D and D campaign that like got found a flock of of, of Pegasi early on in our career, and I was like,
4: it's time to dig it up again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. And we can just be our a little cavalry, mounted cavalry yep. to come in. I dig that. Uh, but I also like that they're they're you know fighting for this kind of harmony between urban and you know natural i mean that's yeah very... it 's
4: not at odds to them that these things kind of coexist that it is it is people's job to uh maintain part of nature um, and also you know to build a city that accommodates the natural world and also uh curb the natural world where it might become too too intrusive
0: very cool yeah. And are there different races in? Uh, you know, th- this sounds very elvish.
4: Yeah, so elves are a prominent part of of the uh, of the guild. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you, if you uh, who want to map the the different elf sub races uh, from D anD d we actually it actually fits very very well on on Ravnica. Okay, and, and uh, some of the guilds I'm going to talk about actually encompass or, or actually uh, are where those those elves would would be. Uh, would Best fits.
0: So the le- Celestnia would be. The Wood What el- else? Oh, okay. Yeah. Wood Elves, All right.
4: Yeah. Uh, so you could imagine, um, you know, quick-footed rangers, uh, you know, leaping from roof to roof, and kind of uh, making sure that uh, that the Celestnia evangels are well protected as they go on their duty and things like that. So, Very cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And the the t- personally the most fun race that is most associated with the Celesnia are the uh, the Luxidon. And lexodons oh, are, Lexodon. yeah, the um, the humani- the humanoid elephant people. And, uh, Babar, essentially. Yeah, Babar, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I hadn't considered that before, but yes, it is the Babar race. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're just, they are a ton of fun. And um, you're going to be able to do things uh, with, with that race that other races don't have. Like they have, they have a trunk.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have a and you can pick things up with it it's yes. like basically like a mage really, hand things. with a you know five foot or you know three yeah. foot radius yeah uh, uh, that's pretty cool
4: so.
0: uh great well I didn't realize they were uh, associated with this lesnia is that just because of their like inherent nature
4: yeah they, they they tend to be calmer they tend to be kind of more introspective and it just really lends themselves they lend themselves to uh uh, to what the Slesnia actually offer. And they will often serve as emissaries and as evangels.
0: Is and the the rules for being a Loxodon are in Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica? Yes, they are. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, can you be an elephant man Pegasi rider? Uh,
4: I don't know what the load bearing capacity is <laughs> in Pegasus, but.
0: Um, That's the correct answer. <laughs> I would say uh,
4: if, if it was at my table, uh, absolutely.
0: Nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, all right, let's move on to the Golgari.
4: Yeah, so uh, we were talking about kind of the notion of the dichotomy uh, of that you could actually like see all the guilds like one against another. Um, it's really interesting to look at the way the Golgari would look at the Slesnia. So the Slesnia venerate life, and they they value all things that grow. And the Golgari, who actually, so let me back up a little bit. Uh, Ravnica is you know it's a city, it's this plane spanning city. But it's also been around for millennia, which means it has built on top of, you know, layers and layers and layers and layers. So what you see on the surface, like the streets that most people live on, Mm -hmm. um, only occupies a small fraction of what Ravnica is. Beneath the streets is this whole vast undercity. And one of the guilds that really kind of occupies that space uh, are the Golgari. Oh,
2: okay.
4: And so the Golgari... uh, would we'll, would we'll look at this Lesnia and look at their kind of their worship of life as kind of naive that they're only getting half of the picture. Mm. The Golgari see life and death as a cycle, and they're kind of just kind of or almost it's life and death are part of a spectrum, mm. um, and that you can kind of exist or uh, or appreciate all parts of of that. And um, the Golgari, it was really interesting going back to. The world-building part uh, when I was on the magic team, the Golgari were one of the guilds that got the biggest kind of redesign visually. Okay. Um, it was it was really hard to get a, um, a guild that was very much about living in kind of the sewers and in, in this undercity and make them uh, visually appealing in a way that wasn't, you know, kind of gross or grubbing in, in muck. Yeah. And so uh, when we were doing the redesign this time around, we really leaned into this idea that this is kind of a kingdom beneath the, street, beneath the feet of the people on Ravnica, that this is really the, the place that, you know, people aren't quite sure what it might look like or how you even get to Golgari territory. But once you're there, it's this kind of otherworldly, kind of beautiful place. Um, but if you look closer, it's also a place made of fungus and made of things that you, most people might, you know, shy away from or, right. be, or might, you know, that might make them recoil. Um, but they embrace this entire cycle of life and death and so when we looked at them, we wanted to create this kind of unseelie court, this sense of royalty and nobility that there is this whole order of civilization beneath the streets of, of what most Ravnicans would understand as their city.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So are they uh, like recyclers
4: in a way? Like yeah. Do
0: they take what you know, what was once alive and then figure out how to use those, those bare you know, resources again? Yep.
4: They will do that. Um, they will also – you know they will raise they will raise zombies with the kind of uh, oh. that have like a, more of a, like a fungal take to them that they have these different uh, spores that will animate the dead. Um, we got a glimpse of them with the um, circle of spores druid. Right. Um, yeah, when that, that was, was designed. released
0: on uh, on Earth Arcana yeah. a few months ago before we'd even announced Ravnica. So we're going to
4: see it in print. I hope I'm allowed to say that. But yes. we are going to
0: see it in print. Excellent.
4: Yeah. Um, so that's going to really uh, that really captures their sense of. Death isn't something, you know, it's so weird to think of necromancy and dealing with death as something that a druid would ever do. Mm. But from the Golgari perspective, the death is just kind of a part of the cycle of life, that it is a natural thing. And therefore, you know, raising dead is just these are just more tools that, that they could they get to use. This mm-hmm. is more things they could they can appreciate in in, in the natural world. Um uh, so much so that there are even liches among among the Golgari. There are oh, wow. um, so there are elves in the Golgari as well as the Celestia, and this is where we get kind of the the drow kind of analog. Oh, I see. Yeah, the dark elf, and uh, but they, um, it's very very powerful uh, uh, magic users in in the Golgari will become liches. Um, and that is that is just in fact right now their their guildmaster uh, Gerard is is himself a lich.
0: I see. Yeah. All right, and in he a uh, has he been guildmaster for a long time?
4: Um, not a super long time, uh, but uh, he has been for uh, a few decades. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with him.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, what What's his, what's his personality like?
4: Uh, so uh, Gerard is uh, like like the elves of the Golgari uh, has ambitions um, to uh, uh, to pursue his own kind of his own aims. So it's interesting just to uh, go back to the, to what makes the Golgari different than the Silesnia mm-hmm. um, is that the Silesnia is ver- they're very communal in uh, in their own in their own way, right? It's a very flat organization. Personal ambition doesn't really factor into it a ton. The Golgari, however, are very much in in the sense of cycling will. Um, their leadership will often cycle out as well. So you have a lot of uh, oh. ambitious individuals who uh will who might kind of assassinate their way to the top or kind of use political maneuvering to push their opponents out. And so uh the Golgari organization is very much a um it can be pretty cutthroat at times. I see. But in a way that the natural world is too. So Okay.
0: So the yeah, it's a survival of the fittest yeah. kind it, of idea. Yeah. Okay. And that's where Gerard has has, has, has been. He has
4: positioned himself that way. Yeah, his sister uh, previously uh, ran the guild as well. Oh, okay. And so there is some uh, familial ties there. Um, is she
0: still around, or no longer with us? She's
4: not. She's not around. Uh, uh, that's
0: right. Her, her life force is being re- recycled. as Yeah, as, presumably. Yeah.
4: Um, and there, um, they had taken over from. There was a, a trio of uh, of Medusas, or in the in the magic. Uh, uh, terminology: uh, Three Gorgons. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, they've had more churn in their leadership than any other guild in recent memory, anyway. Okay,
0: makes sense. What are what are the uh, you know more, as I said, more rank and file uh, folks of the Golgari?
4: Um, so they have you know they'll, they'll have their, their shamans and druids, um, which may manifest as druids, you know, a circle of spores, or there may be uh, there might be uh, wizards who are who are necromancers, that kind of a thing. Um, there are, in terms of just, uh, roles in the guild, there are what, there are people, people called find brokers, which will, uh, as things kind of make their way down into the, into the sewers or into the undercity, they're the ones that will find things of value. So they might find, you know, magic items, they might find, you know, just actual wealth and treasure down there. They might find, might find corpses that have floated their way down there and so on. Yeah. Something like um, ultimate scavengers. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're scavengers that way. There are people that will um, – so the Golgari aim, in the, they have kind of the longest view of things of all the guilds because they see things as all institutions, both physical ones and uh, you know, physical edifices and kind of uh, just the institutions of society. Those will all crumble away at some point. Mm. So they're basically doing this attrition game. And to do that, sometimes they will send out agents to kind of speed things along a, a little bit. So they might hmm. send out assassins to kill key figures to create more um, instability. Or they might cr- send up these reclaimers who will prepare a, a part of the surface for reclamation. So they might send out these like spores and things to start uh, infesting an area to get hmm. it prepared for when, for when it is time for the Golgari to it's – when it's, when it's the Golgari age essentially.
0: Oh, is that what they're trying to perpetuate—the the age of the Golgari?
4: Yeah, and and it, to them it's a, it's an inevitability. This mm. is going to happen, and it's it's more about
0: yeah, when speeding it along. Yeah, yeah. Why is that true for all the other guilds? Or like, is everyone trying to be like, all right, this is where we're going to be ascendant, or is this just a Golgari thing?
4: Uh, th- that's a Golgari thing. Uh, some of the, some guilds have those kinds of ambitions; others don't. I, I think um, for, for like the,
0: Celestia doesn't sound like one that would care about.
4: They don't, yeah. I don't think they see it as the age of, like, this is when the guild itself will be the dominant one. But they do, I think, imagine an age where everybody turns to the will of Matselesnia. Mm. That, that, that they live in harmony. And the way to achieve harmony is to kind of essentially be, be for the greater good in that way. Wow. Uh, but I don't think every guild is, is that way. Um, like, I don't think the Rakdos, um, who are essentially a hedonistic performance art you know, uh, <laughs> cult. Uh, I don't. I don't think that they see that this is the age of of Rakdos. Um, they it. live to m- moment to moment for any of those kind of ambitions.
0: Sweet. All right. Well, anything else on the Golgari?
4: Um, the Golgari. Uh, I, yeah. I, I just. I find them so fascinating in what they do in in a D and type setting, um, especially a city world like this. So when you have a a, um, a world like Ravnica where you could have these kind of Noir style adventures and a lot of intrigue. Uh, the Golgari are one of those guilds that allow, if you want, to, if you want to position them as your campaign villain, they allow for a dungeon delve. Mm. They they open up. You could make the Undercity as deep as you want it to go, and you could have the Golgari with you know with there are trolls that are affiliated with with the Golgari. There are these, these insectoid uh, soldiers known as the Crawl that serve the Golgari or serve with the Golgari, and so you, there are so many. Uh, Places where you could take the comforts of civilization out of the hands of your of the players, mm-hmm. and you could really get t- get uh, kind of dig into uh, really uh, it, it just offers that that part of Ravnica that other guilds don't. And it's like the the actual true dungeon delve.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I'm excited to learn more about these guilds in uh, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica uh, when it comes out in November. Um, and uh, I believe it will be in game stores on November 9th and everywhere else November 20th. Uh, so you can look for more of that. But we'll, in the meantime, I'm we'll taking be... your
4: word for it. I don't actually remember the dates.
0: Those are, I think that's it. Okay. And then we shall uh, be revisiting a couple more of these guilds uh, to learn more about it uh, as the fall goes on here yeah. on where you should know. So thanks a lot, Ari.
4: Yeah, actually, before I go, can yeah. I actually just uh, brag about the uh, the dice? Yes. Okay. So uh I'm really excited about the uh the dice for Guildmaster's guide. Uh, it comes with this sweet uh this sweet tin. Oh, it's a sweet yeah.
0: circular tin, about three inches tall. Uh it almost looks like a cake pan, but like a small bunt bunt.
4: Mm-hmm. Cake. But it, it's got it's basically got the seal of the of the guilds on here. Uh-huh. And the coolest thing uh is this uh this D10. Yeah. That uh if you ever need to um roll randomly like what, what guild you encounter or anything like that. This uh, enables you to do it, and each, each face of the D10 is uh, another, guild, another guild symbol. That's so, so cool. Yeah.
0: And it's an oversized D10, yeah, so yeah. Uh, uh, about the size of what like an oversized D20 yeah. would look like. We'll compare uh, it. Which is very so here's
4: cool. Here's a
0: regular D10. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I can't wait for, uh, yeah. uh, for people to check out this, uh, the dice, which I think are going to be out around the same time as the book. So yeah, yeah. look for it in game stores then. All right. Uh, very cool. How can people uh, find you, uh, uh, whether on Twitter or ask you questions about uh, which guild they should play?
4: So uh, I am at Winemall. Um, on Twitter, and I have sadly been pretty quiet on Twitter, but uh, I'm, I'm working to, to be better at that. Now's the time to now wrap it up. The time. Now's the time. So if you have questions, you can kind of force me out of my solitude, and I will, uh, I will answer <laughs> questions.
0: A fortress of solitude is yeah. not yeah. a good uh, social media platform. No, no. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm at Greg Tito. Feel free to ping me uh, with any questions as well, and I'll uh, walk over to Ari's desk and ask. Hey. All right. Well, thank you, Ari Levitch, for for coming by, and it was uh, absolutely uh, my pleasure telling us all. And we'll be back with more Laurie Shano next week. Wasn't it so interesting listening to Ari like wax poetic about the guilds of Ravnica? Yes, I learned so much. Me too. I know everything about uh, the Golgari and the other guild that we talked about, <laughs> 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 uh, the Selesnia Da, da, da. Good I one. I get a, a, a prize. All right. Uh, I also have uh, two prizes coming our way because we have two awesome guests that we get good. to listen to, well, Mr. Jim good. Zub and Patrick Rothfuss, who we will listen to right about now. Oh. Hello. We have uh, Jim Zub. Hello. Hello. And Mr. Patrick Rothfuss.
5: Howdy. How's it going? I'm doing well. We are. Uh, We are rocking and rolling. How are you guys?
0: I'm too caffeinated. I think. I think that's not
1: caffeinated. (laughs) Oh (laughs) no.
0: All right, I'm gonna drink all this.
1: I'm very excited, and I'm glad I didn't know that these were our guests until like an hour ago. Because I would have been a little nervous. I think I would have been a little nervous. You think so? But look what I did. Prep.
0: (laughs) On graph paper, no less.
1: Never with my with my D and D pencil.
0: Nice. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah. we are talking to you guys because you wrote the uh, uh, series of the Rick and Morty and Dungeons and Dragons crossover comic book series um, from IDW. And uh, it's, the first issue came out uh, two weeks ago. Is that right?
5: I think three weeks ago. Three
0: weeks ago. God, has it been that long? Time. Yeah. Canadian time.
1: It's Canadian time no, three weeks ago. <laughs> it,
3: was, it was when I was at PAX. I forgot. I, I was on the road for those two weeks.
0: Yeah. Crazy. So, well, how long was this process? When did you guys know you were going to start this,
5: and 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 how long did it take? Well, first off, it's not just Rick and Morty and Dungeons and Dragons. It's Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons. It's true. It is, a, it is conflict in full effect. <laughs> it's uh, it's good stuff. Um, the process uh, uh started over well over a year ago. Uh, wow. When were you first contacted about it, Pat?
3: I remember it at some point. It was last year. And, and I was, I, I kind of told them it's like, boy, I would love to, you probably don't want to work with me, you know, and, <laughs> and, and that's part the of it,
5: ringing endorsement of Pat Rothfuss right there. That's I try it. to
3: lead off all potential collaborations that way, just so everyone really like later on when they're like, Pat, you're, you're this up. I'm like, I told you, I told you you didn't want this. Um, <laughs> Um, it's also a great way to start your relationships, everyone. Just, you know, extra little piece of advice there.
0: Yeah. When you so meet, when you meet someone this. new, you'd be like, I'm going to mess everything up.
5: You're going to hate <laughs> me so much. <laughs> I can only improve your expectation from here. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it started so at I, the bottom. I'm pretty sure it was Emerald City Comic Con last year. Uh, the Oni Press people and the IDW people, uh, two wonderful comic publishers. They were out for dinner. And I, I don't know if libations were flowing, but they were sort of like, what about crossovers between our crazy companies? What kind of things could we do? And someone at the table said Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons, and everyone laughed. And then it just stuck in, in <laughs> their craw, and they couldn't, they couldn't let it go. Um, and the discussion just sort of rolled from there. I've been uh, writing the, um, the official D&D comic for IDW since 5th edition launched. Mm-hmm. And so literally the next day, uh, Sarah Gatos came to me, she's editor at uh, at IDW at the time, and she said, this came up during a discussion. Would it be something that you're interested in? And I was like, yeah, of course, but it'll never happen. <laughs> like, this won't will- this will never. You can't get this through the corporate filter. Why like, did
1: you think? Because like wizards would say it would never happen, or I
5: uh, I'd sort of both. Like Adult Swim, you know, it would be wouldn't necessarily be on board, and and Wiz of the Coast would sort of be baffled. I mean, the Rick and Morty, <laughs> it, it's intense, right? Like it, you know, and and we were going to do this. We would have to go for the throat. Like we really wanted <laughs> to. Do this crazy. Uh, so I said sure, but this will never happen. And then months would go by and they would tell me, no, no, we're making headway. And I was like, sure you are. Sure are you. <laughs> and just continually sort of putting, uh, putting it off in this sense of some faraway thing we would talk about years from now and go, man, that would have been cool. It almost, it almost came together. I yeah, yeah exactly. Cause it just sounded like that kind of pie in the sky sort of project, honestly yeah uh, but we're in we live in a new world of crazy uh synergies that could not have existed you know any other time i think pop culture fandom is in a whole new level now and and people realize that that the stuff that would have previously i think just been like fan fiction is now ripe for uh for the attack you know
3: yeah i i i think it's also it also speaks really highly of um uh, of, of Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards because there's sort of a traditional business model I, I think there, there's kind of two things going on here one of them is uh, oh, watch this, I'm going to relate this to like what happened in the middle ages with the rise of the aristocracy and then the
0: fall of the aristocracy <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> come along with me on a, on a magical ride Professor
0: Rothfuss, tell us all
3: <laughs> here, here it comes, weirdest analogy you'll hear today well, I'll take notes um, you know, what happened is like the landed gentry kind of started to lose a lot of their power and their money. Uh, and you had the rise of like this new money, the, the merchant class, right? And um the two traditionally like they didn't want to get along, but they both had something that the other person wanted, right? The uh the new the the merchants had the money, but the aristocracy had like sort of credibility and power and longevity, and they knew sort of like what to do with some of these things. And uh, so typically what happened is um, a noble house that had gotten real poor, somebody would marry into a merchant house where somebody had gotten real rich. And it was sort of like a little bit of chocolate in the peanut butter, um, not to make it weird, but... (laughs)
0: We have a question uh, about that. Yeah, we do. Exact <laughs> phrase
3: later. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> but similarly, you have Rick and Morty, which is like, it's the new big thing. It is the flavor of the day. It is the hot shit. Um, <laughs> but and what's D&D? D&D is the thing that has been around forever and that people have loved. And it is a it is a property and a product that has been lovingly curated by people who adore it for literally decades, yeah. which, in terms of gaming and fantasy, is almost as long as history exists. You know, wow. <laughs> um, right. You know, for, for effectively forty years that's been going on, and so I think for one, Dungeons and Dragons is really smart because, in this analogy, they're the nobles.
0: We're the poor nobles, nobles though. With the no. with the poor noble house, no. <laughs> and, and,
3: and and not and not poor nobles, I'm right? This isn't a perfect analogy, I'll admit that. <laughs> but really, you guys, like Dungeons and Dragons, is like sort of this beloved you know, of. monolith of of like it's it was the beginning, it's the alpha and the omega of gaming, and so what they should be doing traditionally. Is you hunker down, you protect your land. If anybody like does anything that looks a little like D, you sue their asses, right? You <laughs> sue their asses from the ground. Like and like think about the Tolkien estate. That was the reputation that the Tolkien estate had yeah. for a long, long time. And honestly, it hasn't changed that much. It's it's an aggressive defensive stance. Because this is all you're ever gonna have, is this thing. And so you protect it viciously. Now, this is to speak really highly of DD, because they are not doing that. Right. And right now, like a Critical Role starts up, and they're like, hey, we made a r- world. Hey, we have a show. Hey, we, we're doing a book. And what DD did not do is come in with the cease and desist. Why? Because despite the fact that they are sort of the old landowners here, they are not mired in this really retrograde manner of thinking. And they're like, Hey, everyone, like,
5: it's great. Come play, literally come play (laughs) and everyone benefits from it. And And I think that's what's so that's, what's so incredible about it is everyone involved in this process has been so open and excited and rather than all those, I mean, we get to take, normally you do a parody and you have to file all the serial numbers off because you can't use the real terminology. You can't use the real titles. And instead everyone welcomed this crazy monstrosity with open arms and said, make fun, have a good time, tear into all the little bits and crazy things about D and D and show it off, you know, warts and all, because that's what, we all love about it. That's what the fandom loves about it too. Right,
0: right, yeah. And there was—I mean, I think there was a shift. I mean, it was like right around when I got here. Oh, you were here much longer. It
5: was you, Tito. It was
0: not me. I just—I might have been the, a drop in the hat that that pushed it towards the streaming. <laughs> it was and, you and that just stuff. stopped
1: paying attention. Like, I just didn't were ask. Like, huh. Oh, wait, what's happening? Yeah, I was just like— That was gonna- your job. You were supposed to protect the land. I know.
0: Shelly had this podcast, and I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to get into this podcast and mess it all up and invite and people in. And now we're, like, talking
1: and, about D&D and stuff.
0: You know, and, and there were there were times where we were talking to, uh, you know, other creators in the RPG space, and they'd be like, is it okay if I talk about other games? I'm like, yeah, yeah of course. It's all—I mean, it's all part of the, the, the yeah. community. Yeah, I
5: think everyone gets afraid. They get really worried about—
0: Right. Because they're used to and, the to the Tolkien kind also, of idea. I
5: just assumed this was going to be this real corporate uh, pain in the butt, and instead, the pain in the butt has been us because we're like <laughs> perfectionists, and we're we're going to make Troy Little our glorious, glorious artistic uh, collaborator. We're just going to ruin him with yeah. uh, the amount of insane stuff he has to draw. <laughs> I think yeah. it looks like
1: he had a lot of fun though with it.
5: Oh, it, I'm amazed. He <laughs> still, his morale is still high. Where. <laughs> We haven't broken him yet.
3: So once, he's, go ahead. I think he's playing it real cool until he gets to be in in the same room with me, <laughs> and then and then we're gonna have like a Baron Car situation where he's gonna he's gonna use his poison tooth to finally bring me down. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll make sure you never are in the same place. That's right.
5: So, <laughs> go, going there, back there, to the... there's some stuff in there that, that that as as we're pulling together the script, I'm just sitting there thinking if I was the artist and I read this, I would be so mad, <laughs> I would just be so mad. I'm like, what if we had like two dozen cobalts? Like, what if there was just more of the thing? How you are know,
3: you? I just right. someday hope to show off because with the third with the third issue, like seeing how how you turn some of what I loosely refer to as scripts into like real scripts. It's, really
5: like a, <laughs> it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a fire hose of stuff. It's a stuff. It's great. It's all amazing. And I'm just reading and reading and I'm like, there are panels here. I gotta figure them out. It's wild. It's so, really how did good. the process
0: work? I mean, because yeah. I know a lot of people uh, uh, who are listening now may not realize, and I—I I was one of them. You know, a few years ago, when someone was trying to talk to me about how comic books were made, I, I didn't even realize there was a script. I didn't realize that it was in the same vein uh, of sequential art that, like, right. uh, screenplays are. So, when you guys were, were were putting together the words for this, how did how did you begin? How did how did the process well,
5: Stan work? Stanley just cries out Excelsior, and then it just happens. <laughs> <laughs> really, first <laughs> fully formed from Troy Little's <laughs> forehead. All that happens. He just he gets really excited, and the ghost of Jack Kirby just appears, and stuff starts happening. No, um, it's <laughs> it, it is a, a, an interesting process where it is a script. So there are two different types. There's sort of you can do scripts that are more sort of broad and formative, and then the artist draws a bunch of panels, and then you come in and dialogue it at the end. But we're both uh, we both uh, Pat and I are more kind of controlling than that. So the full script is the norm, honestly, for most of the comics that come out nowadays. So you're writing a page by page, and in many cases, panel by panel breakdown. Here's the visual moments we need to portray. Here are the expressions of the characters described. Here's the setting where they are. Here's the dialogue as close to final as we can get it uh, so that the artist can leave room for it, or in our case, hate themselves as they try and leave room for it. Um, and then they send thumbnail roughs of how the paneling is all going to break down. And then we'll sort of uh, talk back and forth about adjustments that can be made or ways to improve. And the artist is also figuring out where they might be able to combine panel concepts or which panels. Almost every page is going to have a larger sort of visual moment or something that anchors the rest of the scene. And we talk about how that's best going to work. Um, and then the stuff gets taken through to final line art, and at the same time that they're doing lettering proofs, it's being colored and, and finalized. And in the case of something like this, you also have an extensive editorial process because you have multiple license holders, you have uh, you know two writers, three editors, and uh, a partridge in a pear tree kind of thing.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the uh, What I send is a script Sort of in the same way that, like, it looks more like a, uh, like a play. Where yeah. it, it, it says, you know, you know, uh, Summer angrily, you know, <laughs> or Morty, you know, throwing his hands into the air. Um, you know, where there's like almost stage direction for most of the lines. Um, and I knew, I, I know that that isn't, it doesn't translate well unless you're doing something where, like, every time somebody speaks, they have their own panel, which isn't good comics. Right. Um, it would actually translate much better to, like, a television format, um, which is probably, like, I've done a little more reading and participating in the production of scripts in that direction. Um, uh, but then when, when Jim brings it back, and then I also, I, I try to, like, leave room for him to play or, to be completely frank, to leave them I'd be like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, here's, here's a bit. It's like, now, 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 now an adventure thing happens. Can you do this? Cause I'm empty. I got no idea. That was
5: that was my favorite part of, of, uh, I think it's script three where it just says, and the adventure part. And I was like, right. The adventure part <laughs> of the, indie. Um, But we also built the story together, like so right from the get go. And this is how I knew it was it was going to work, whatever mad science or however much gray hair I was going to get by the end of this process. um, When Pat started talking about it, he said sort of like a mission statement. And he said, look, people think that Dungeons and Dragons is about killing monsters and getting gold, but it's not. It's about coming together together. As a group to to you know collaborate and tell a story together and and you know learn things about ourselves through the game you know mm. and he says uh, people think that Rick and Morty is just like nihilistic violence and and you know uh, uh, ridiculousness but it's not it's about a series of, of broken people trying to figure out how to live with each other and I was like oh we are both kind of keying into these broader sort of thematic things and as much as this will be a fun story and a silly story and, uh, you know, tweaking the nose and elbowing in the ribs of both these properties, we can actually do something more emotional. And some of the things that are most amazing about Rick and Morty, when you watch it or rewatch it are some of those unexpected emotional bits and, and getting beneath the surface and really digging in on this, the the characters and their personalities. And so as soon as that kind of came through the pipeline, whatever else was going to happen, I was like, well, i we just got to get this runaway train to go in that direction and it's going to work. And thankfully, again, everyone involved in the process kind of believes in that as well, that we are doing this on those sort of two levels. Like you can just read this and it's a violent, silly, ridiculous story that makes fun of Dungeons and Dragons as much as it warmly holds it to its bosom. Mm. But it also is this, you know, story about what, is great about dnd and the things that it it does to empower all of us and why we all love it so much and the same thing with rick and morty it is those ridiculous characters and they're awful and they say and do terrible things to each other but it's also their broken ways of trying to communicate and be a family and i think that that's in the long run it, it, you know well if we're able to stick the landing on the fourth issue and everyone reads it and gets out of it what we want. That's, that's kind of the core. That's why it, it, it is what it is. You know, that's really great. I mean,
0: I feel like that's uh, the thing I'm always trying to tell people who don't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons uh, that, you know, it's not about, you know, people always ask about the dice or, you know, sure. what if I don't know about what character I'm going to be or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, ah, you know, it doesn't matter. It's about getting together with your friends and then yep. you figure out those things that those are just a framework for the uh the, the stories that you're going to tell together and that's, exactly. that's what's we, really important we
5: collaboratively are going to do something that we couldn't do as individuals and we all don't know where it's going to go but we couldn't have gotten there unless we did it together yes. and i think that that's you know what means so much about D to me and has meant so much about it ever since i started playing when i was like eight years old right and why it sticks with me so much you know uh, uh, when I went into the office and hung out with you guys in October and we were brainstorming on upcoming coolness, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I really had this moment where we were all sitting around talking about D and D in the D and D office. And I'm like, Oh man, this is my tribe so bad. Like this is, so <laughs> this is everything I wanted, you know, role playing to be and gaming the people and the, and the camaraderie that comes from it, the emotional quality to it. It's, uh, it's the best.
0: We even have the jackets.
5: <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> I gave Jim one of the Demogorgon uh, jackets. Oh, nice. like, oh you, you put it on. I was like, oh my God, this really is perfect for you. Tribe. Yeah. Yeah,
5: yeah. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And then Pat having that same warmth around gaming. You know, we would have Skype calls and just trying to stay on target with our original goals for the phone call and just going off in the weeds, talking about all the things we love about the game and, and our experiences in it. Just like anytime you get together with gamers and you can't help but you know, tell a hundred little anecdotes and, and fun memories. Right.
1: So how, how did you two, like, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't really know how comic books get, how you write sure. them. But so do right. you You think of, that? you conceive the whole series before you yeah, start? Yeah, comics
5: out? are different, very different from prose in, in, or, and even film in some ways, because generally speaking, the format is very set. It's, it's more like episodic television in the sense you've got whatever with, Mm-hmm. commercials, you've got 21 minutes plus the opener and the stinger and all that stuff. So you know exactly how many pages you're supposed to have, Pat. You know how many pages you're supposed to have. Like, <laughs> page didn't we were, know. We were, issue, issue three we were was show. your fault. You've already admitted that <laughs> on the live <on> stream. <laughs> so we were supposed to have 20 pages <laughs> for issue. And uh so uh we had a real set format. So when I lay it out and when we talked about the story, we're like, okay Here's the amount of story material we need to cover. Here's all the things that need to happen to make the story go mechanically. Here are the scenes that are required in order to play those dramatic moments out. Therefore, I have this many pages to do this scene and this many pages to do this scene. And it seems like it should be very structured. And usually it is. Um, and then uh, Pat would run with it in these amazing ways and come up with even more grandiose, crazy dialogue and little turns uh, that enhanced all of it. And we've just, the editors and I, we were sitting down with some of this stuff and we were like, man, we don't want to lose a line cause it's all so good <laughs> and I'm bridging stuff and trying to make sure it all fits. And we've built this wonderful thing together. And then I'm, I'm finding myself, you know, begging my editors for, Oh, can we just have an extra page or two? Oh, can we just, you know, it'll work even better. I'll
0: go and to the factory and yeah. tape in an extra page uh-huh. in each issue.
5: Yeah. You can't do that normally in, in, uh, <laughs> in corporate comics and because it's not just me, it's also Troy and it's the letterer and it's the colorist and it's the deadline. And 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 then I said, but look, it's Pat Rothfuss. What is a deadline? I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, oh,
0: man. Twisting no, twist no, the knife. Wow.
5: I say, it, I say it lovingly. You know, that. <laughs> you know that.
0: book three is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Direct,
3: direct all inquiries to, uh, to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> right. We'll take no, it. But,
5: but honestly, if it wasn't so, and everyone just broke. I, it's kind of this thing now where I feel like I, I've uh, seen a new light where there are no page counts. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. But, what do page but,
0: counts even I, mean anymore in the digital sense?
5: It's so amazing. Uh, no, but we, so we really do have so much awesome material and, um, That's why, uh, with each issue, it creeps, uh, into, into amazing new page counts. Um, (laughs) and, and, uh, and it pays off in all sorts of awesome ways. Uh, and Pat's honestly, some of the, the dialogue is so good. Like it's rare that I would sit there and read dialogue in my head like this and genuinely laugh, like genuinely laugh at the, uh. Cerbic Rick dialogue that comes naturally out of Pat and uh, and delivers with such punch. Uh, and and uh, the pathos that he's able to get out of Jerry as well really knocked me out. And I'm just trying to keep as much of that gold as possible and add in all sorts of extra little nostalgic bits of D&D and bring all sorts of other, you know, sort of bridging elements into the fold at the same time and try not to kill Troy. Yeah.
2: Okay. I'm
3: I'm really looking forward to maybe eventually because uh, issue three came around and and I, I I sent it off and it came back and and I and I was like and I'm like ooh so many pages like I'm so <laughs> glad that I mean I'm kind of responsible because I did send off the script but it's not totally me because they're the one that put the page count on it. And then I went through and I'm like, I know this is too many pages. What can maybe I weed out? Because believe it or not, I I really strive towards economy in my writing. Um, You know, and that's why the books take so long is I I constantly weed things out while I'm writing. So I went in and I, I I pulled, I'm like, Ooh, we can pull these panels. I can pull this line of dial. It gets tighter. And then I'm like, Ooh, but now I need two more panels for this other thing. I need to hit this beat. Mm. But also, it was issue three where I finally, I was like, what if we did a page that looked like this? And then I drew, like, the grossest, crudest, <laughs> like, like thing. And I'm like, I've read a lot of comics. I've read a lot of Alan Moore. I've read a lot of, you know, some of these, uh, Xander Cannon. It's really interesting paneling in, I think it was, uh, like, top ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where you, you see some of these like next level comics.
5: Well, cause we don't have to follow like film. We don't have to follow, you can change the aspect ratio of the panel. You can change mm-hmm. the feel of a page in yeah. really unique ways for comics. And a lot of times the corporate stuff, they won't necessarily do as much of that because I think they're just sort of being more expedient. But if you can, you can get really wild with page layout and with the effect it has on the reader.
3: Yeah. Cool. The, uh, I, I remember seeing some of those. So I, I proposed one full page that I think is going to turn out pretty good. I was pretty sure. And I knew I could trust the team if they looked at it and they're like, Oh, I see what you're trying to do, but no, that ain't going to work. And then it came back and I'm like, Oh, cool. Shit. It, I think it will work. <laughs> um, and then there was another sort of half page. I'm like, I know we've got it kind of laid out like this, but could we do it like this? I think this might get it across. And that was, that's some pretty like baby step stuff compared to like what Alan Moore did in like Promethea, like the the wild panel where like there was a two page fold out in the first uh, volume of Promethea where people came in on this page, they went up the fire escape outside of a building, you had a whole conversation inside the house and then they left through the fire escape and came down the other side. And it was an Amazing. entire scene in a two page foldout that was very intuitive to look at, but also you were, you were just looking at a building and I'm like, who the f- you know, does this? This is brilliant and beautiful. And so I've, I've taken like a tiny, a tiny step in that direction because for me, like, again, what as, 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 uh, as Jim has seen, left to my own scripting devices, typically you'll get a screenplay, you know, not a, not a comic script. Got it.
5: Got and on. figuring out also how to most effectively deliver some of that stuff in the panels. Like, not every panel needs to even have dialogue. Silent moments, you know, you want to contrast out big action and big dialogue or, you know, quiet moments or transitions and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's something that, you know, the more you work with any kind of medium, the better you're going to get at it. So, it's been kind of fun sort of saying, okay, here's trying to bring my strengths into the fold and say, okay, here's good comic storytelling, or here's what we can do to sort of play with it and also reflect back. Like, um, there's a scene in, in issue four that is parallel to issue two, and we use the exact same paneling and the exact same pacing. I need to visually bring you back to that moment and remind you of something that happened earlier because it has a thematic kind of, uh, of payoff. And doing that kind of stuff can be a lot of fun too, where you have sort of echoes of earlier ideas or in the same way that in a movie, someone will say a line of dialogue that they said earlier, but it means something very different now that they've gone through this story, you know, stuff like that. We can do really, really fun stuff. I love with that it. kind of stuff for and sure. That we don't have to make this uh simplistic just because it's some kooky corporate crossover. Like we're trying to, Hit these weird high points and do all sorts of crazy stuff because who knows when will we ever get the chance to play with these toys in this in this way? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And at the same time, trying to inject as many uh, references to my favorite D and D adventures or NPCs or adventures or source books, like just putting those in there, like as the broad kind of ingredients of don't we all love this stuff?
0: And there's definitely you know we've made a few allusions to it now with the uh, 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 nerd culture, or whatever you say, there's going to be Venn diagrams of people who will, uh, you know, be comic book fans, Rick and Morty fans, and Dungeons and Dragons fans. And we don't need to right. necessarily sell to those people for this thing. They probably already have it, and and sure. that's probably why it's so. But like, what, what would you say to folks who? Uh, I mean, I'll just take myself for an example. I didn't read a lot of comics when I was a kid growing up, and I, uh, I'm ha- sorry to say, I haven't seen any Rick and Morty yet. I've been what people have told oh me it's amazing. God, even
1: I've... I've watched it. See,
0: you're you're all better people than I am. God, um, it, it, but I'm a Dungeons and like Dragons it. fan. So, like, what 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 would you say to those type of people uh, uh, who 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 don't already have an affinity to you know all three of these things? Like, what what, what, right. what does it bring to it?
5: Well, I mean, in terms of D and D, one of the things that's been really a joy is that it's all real D and D. Like, we don't it, sometimes they'll do D and D in parodies on TV shows or in in other media, Big and they theory. always have to file the serial numbers off and. Oh, it's uh, mansions and manticores, you know, or this sort of thing or whatever. And so this is like real (laughs) hardcore D&D. We have a sequence in issue two where the party is crushing stuff and we have the proper experience point totals and, you know, like ridiculous things like this. Right. Um, All the stuff. And we go through the different editions as well. So in I'm sent Troy dozens and dozens of images of like, hey, don't just, you know, here's the first edition player uh, DMG. But make sure you get that back cover correct because it's really distinctive. You yeah, know? like really ludicrously detailed nerd stuff. But at the same time, because we want to get it right, because it's the real thing, you know what I mean. But on the well, other level, it's also a joyous story about gaming. It's a joyous story about coming together and discovering a new hobby. And I think that that's kind of universal mm. to a lot. Of people. I don't think it has to just be. D&D it's about the joy of finding things that you didn't know you could find joy in, you know, stuff like that as well. Pat, you want to run with the torch on the, on the Rick and Morty or whatever other angle? Uh, You know, I, you know, it's something I had
3: to come to grips with when I was working on book two um, in my series where a lot of people had read the first one and I knew that some people, despite all of my prayers would pick up the second book without ever having read the first one mm. or who might've read the first book um, like four years ago, you know, and then pick up the second one. And there were people who have read the first book 20 times and then would read the second one. Um, and in the future, some people would reread the first one and the second one, And so whenever you're writing anything, you're writing to a lot of different audiences. Um, I used to teach writing, uh, and I used to sort of beat that drum kind of mercilessly that if you're not thinking about audience, you're screwing everything up. Um, I'm not really a a big fan of the write-for-yourself school of thought. Mm. Um, You know, and so we do. We have people who... Know a little bit about D&D, who have only been exposed to D&D through Stranger Things. We have people who have only done D&D for 4th edition, and then they quit because they only liked 4th edition, and then it moved on. We have people who used to play back in the day and gave it up because they got out of college and couldn't find a group. We got people who started way back in the day and now are in their 40s and have kind of played it off and on ever since.
5: And you got people who have just found the game through places like Critical Role and the Adventure Zone. Yep, and that only really
3: experience it in a narrative way and have never done it at a table. Yep. And, you know, the one thing that I think I'm pretty good at is um, being able to understand a reader's mind no matter where the reader is coming from. Um, And so it's, like, I kind of wish it was just a series of Venn diagrams as opposed to a vast, n-dimensional, like, (laughs) matrix-like data array of, of like, the 18 different potential large audience types and then the 27 smaller potential audience types. Um, But when you come right down to it, what I really want to do in a story is i want there to be something i want there to be a lot on the surface so no matter who is reading it for the first time will enjoy it but i want there to be enough farther down that no matter how many times you reread it you always see something new
5: yeah yeah and And that was important i think across the board that you wanted to be able to read it you get all the high points and you go oh this is a funny story oh this is all about gaming and then you go back and you reread it and you see whether it's certain turns of a phrase or little bits in the background or jokes on the bulletin board in the school or little things that'll, that'll keep people sort of engaged on that. Um, when I started writing the D&D comic, uh, Legends of Baldur's Gate, that came out around the same time as Fifth Edition launched, I said, look, as much as I want the d and Hardcore to read this and I hope they do read it, I want something that a brand new reader who doesn't even play D&D, can just read a great fantasy story and get excited about it and want to experience more fantasy stories branded with Dungeons & Dragons, that this isn't just playing to the absolute grognard, you know, right? And, and and all the terminology, that we want to make a great dramatic story, a really fun story, a great character story first, and it just so happens to follow the canon. It just so happens to fit all the rules it just so happens to be dungeons and dragons and use all the proper monsters and all the places but you don't need to know them all with encyclopedic knowledge in order to enjoy it but if you do know the stuff if you have read the books you'll see those little notes you'll see those little touches that we have gone deep but it doesn't it isn't required in order to be entertaining
0: so we, I think we wanted to ask about how deep the chocolate
1: – Yeah. How right? how deep up in that chocolate did you get? The,
3: mm-hmm. Technically, you go into the peanut butter. Oh. Just, you know, the, so how the, deep the, into
1: the peanut butter? You said you see, were going to get
3: pretty deep in there. Sometimes, uh, well, sometimes <laughs> when a peanut butter loves the chocolate very much.
1: <laughs> they make a Reese's peanut butter cup.
3: They make they – make, uh, they make a really bad analogy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I believe your words were something sticky we, and delicious. I, I would
5: send Troy these art <laughs> notes that were like, here is what a cobalt looks like in second edition. And it's different from third edition. And because this is a second edition moment,
2: oh
1: my God.
5: In a Rick and Morty book, you have to get it right. And this is what this is. And like, and here's the size differences between these creatures. And here's what this means. And, uh, you know, stuff that that I don't think even made it to the page, like just ridiculous stuff. Um, I also wanted where where sometimes we would just you would have sort of generic kind of fantasy terminology. I would always want to steer it back to actual D&D or even better if we could be specific about an adventure. Yeah. So as an example, in the first issue, um, Rick takes Morty on an adventure, but it's not just any adventure. It's an actual module L1 which is the secret of Bone Hill, and that was literally just me looking through a shelf and going, "What is the most faith title that Rick and Morty would make fun of because it sounds vaguely <laughs> wrong?" And immediately,
1: That's a fun exercise.
5: Bo- Bone Hill just wins, like it's it's the it's the top one, right? So I said, "Okay, they're going to Bone Hill," and I had them do a little bit of banter about Bone Hill. And then Pat just grabbed hold of that on the script revision and just drove deep into bizarre puns around <laughs> Bone Hill. And so that's been that fun kind of riffing. It's almost like improv. like It's like you're always mm-hmm. plussing. You're always adding something to the mix. And I wanted it to be actual scenes from Bone Hill. So they're talking about Restonford, for the village and all this stuff. And all the NPCs are correctly named. But it's also just a dumb Rick and Morty joke where they're just going to talk about boning endlessly and all this kind of stuff.
0: So On a hill. but On a hill. Yeah, the chocolate peanut butter. I don't know if you guys uh, uh, who are listening got the reference, but that was in the announcement uh, press release uh, for yes. this. Is a quote from Mr. Rothfuss about the press release. And that's part of my job sometimes. I don't know if people know that. I have to go and uh, review uh, press releases from our licensors. I think that's the only time, Pat, that I've actually laughed out loud at my desk at a press release, so kudos to you for that. Could, could, now, I will
3: admit that sometimes what I do is I just start to speak, and then what I have said sort of leaves me, much like, uh, much, much, much like uh, the spirit descends, and then I, I hold forth, and then it, it is gone from me. Do you have the direct quote? Because
5: I honestly can't can remember it. exactly. Yeah. We can find let it. Me, let me call it up. We actually, it, it, I, I meant to bring it. my copy of Bone Hill here. Hold on. Yeah. Oh, you're opening it up out of the out of the original plastic. Well, it's not the original plastic. Okay. Phew. Dude, I play <laughs> these adventures. Man, I know. I just
0: want to make sure. I mean, I know that we uh, we have uh, Alex Cammer from. Uh, um, oh, I
5: know. He. I could hear
1: him weeping. I like know, him.
0: right? That he does his all uh, of his. Sound of
1: plastic coming off of an old adventure. <laughs> no. So while Greg's looking that up,
0: the actual code is sorry. Oh, I right, now I got it all right. So. I love Rick and Morty with a powerful love, and I played D and D since the fifth grade," said Patrick Rathfuss. So when they approached me about writing a story with both of them together, that's some serious. You got chocolate in my peanut butter, shit, right there. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I'm getting that chocolate all up in the peanut butter, like deep in, all the way in. It's going to be sticky and delicious.
5: How How did we get that in a press release? Okay. I, 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 I think you get some I, leeway with Rick and Morty.
0: That's, I, I I would normally I would just be, just be like, oh, that's probably not a good fit for the Hasbro. And I I'm mean, like, all oh, right no, it's, it makes perfect you sense for this. If you were working
5: on, like, Dragon Heist, maybe you would have edited that. Maybe. I feel like, it's Rick and Morty. You know what I'm really looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the next D&D comic mini series I do after... Rick and Morty <laughs> where I've just been corrupted and I'm just going to be all like 20 pages we can't do this in 20 pages <laughs> are you crazy all the, and all we need the, more burps. All the limit uh, it'll all go back to normal and they'll be like oh you're not in that playground anymore Jim you got to slow down now come on ruined
0: I know. So we have all these uh, uh, comic book covers for this first issue splayed out in front of us. Is
1: this normal? This many
3: covers? (laughs) Is this normal?
0: When I I left a little bit, when I left
3: early on, it was because we started this and a box just showed up. No way. And it was it's not just, it's been sitting there, but I haven't opened it up because I knew about all the covers, but I haven't seen all the covers. So I opened up the box, like literally sitting here. If you it wasn't that I'm like I'm doing my mail when I'm not talking on this interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Paying my
3: bills. <laughs> it's that uh, like it's like now here in front of me for the first time I get to see
5: there are many covers.
3: Some oh of- you got them
5: all. Yep.
0: You know, some of these. They're so good. I just love that.
5: So what what happens is, is so they're called variant covers. And if you're not a comic collector, what it is is they'll do a thing where they'll sometimes, uh, if a retailer feels like they can really hunker down on a book and it's going to do well for them, Mm. they might order a specific cover just for their retail outlet. Or a convention event might have their own special cover. Or an online outlet shopping might have their own special cover. Um, and to say that there has been a lot of, uh, support for this book, it's ridiculous. Uh, in addition to the regular covers, there's also these special character sheet covers. So what we did was we made fifth edition stats for all the family. Yeah. First issue is Morty and he's a, uh, I think he's a sixth level half orc rogue. Uh, and so, uh, he got statted up uh Adam Lee who I got to give big big ups to he did the stats uh based on our ludicrous specifications and then we went back and forth on them and that's a blank character sheet cover which you also can if you want to make a Rick and Morty style D&D character um and, and so we got to stat up the the whole family and each cover is going to have a different member of the family and I I think issue 2 is summer And then issue issue two is summer. Yeah. Yeah. Issue three is there's going to be two covers. going to be, uh, Beth and Jerry. And then issue four is Rick. Um, but there's a bonus thing in the back of issue one. And I just asked for it. Like, again, I feel like I get to be so indulgent. I said, you know, Rick has been playing since first edition. He would have a maxed out archmage. So what if we had a 36 level archmage in the back done up and lo and behold, they uh, statted it up for us. Oh, and yeah.
3: uh, my friend Nate Taylor, uh, folks that know this guy. my stuff, oh, there you go. Uh, Nate uh, did up that that sheet and a lot of the the flourishes, yeah. like the things written in the margin. That's why I love working with Nate um, on everything we do. We did a, a the picture book together. He illustrated Slow Regard for me. He does my maps. Um, and all of the little... Like things and the, the marginalia on that character sheet is is the pure, beautiful child of his brain, um, including shit just
5: that's like, um, like never trust Gary. Right, right. <laughs> you know what made me laugh about that was too is, is the, he said, "What kind of stuff do you want on the character sheet?" And I just wrote like I think like ten or twelve little dorky things. And then he put them all in. That's I awesome. thought he was going to put like one or two, but I was like, oh, what if he has a a pet beholder called Norb the Orb? And he's like, yeah, OK. Uh, there's, <laughs> like, there's all sorts he of stuff. He's got stuff in the margins that are like um, he, he's he got a, a like a puzzle code, like you had written it in the margin from a module, you know, that that's where you keep the. The mnemonic for a puzzle, right? Uh, all sorts of really good stuff, and there's right. also ludicrous things of like power gaming stuff. Like uh, Rick has super eidetic memory, so he has all spells permanently memorized and stuff. That's a good yeah. thing. Can cover is there, Troy
1: d and D guy? Has he ever played? He is yeah,
5: he, he just recently started replaying fifth edition because he's been uh, running his kids, and so he's got the bug bad, uh, which is kind of nice. That is good. Yeah.
0: I love all those like little, I mean, it reminds me of the sticker sheets we do here with uh, Emmy Tanji. Yes. I, I will use the graphic designer here uh, who does the like, graphic design for, for Dragon Heights that just came out, uh, for example. But I'll give her like, oh, I want these uh, things for the sticker sheet. And then she will write the most yeah. hilarious stuff in the margins. Uh, and I love that they, they see the light of day in, in cool. these sticker sheets uh, and her her uh, type of thing. So that's great. Oh, that's I a good one too. Got,
5: I just got a Dragon Heist today, actually. Nice. Uh, in the mail. So I'm really excited. Good mail to, day for you guys. For yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so one thing I do want to let you guys know, all of these uh, covers, uh, you, can, you can collect them on your own. That's totally possible for fans out there to do. But yeah. if you are going to Game Hall Con. Uh, which is in Madison, him. Wisconsin, run by a uh, friend of the show, Alex Kammer. He will be auctioning off a set of all Ooh, of what? these covers, uh, all for charity uh, for our Extra Life uh, initiative there to benefit uh, Seattle Children's Hospitals. So nice. if you're going to Game William Hall Con already, check out uh, uh, that auction and, and, and get involved. We're trying to figure out how to do a digital version of it, but I know at least there will be an analog auction that's available. Sweet. I think that's pretty cool.
5: That is awesome.
0: Yeah. I know it's a lot of
5: work. Two, I think issue two will be out at the end of the month. It might be, it's either last week of September or first week of October.
0: Sweet. So it's going to go like one a month uh, and there's four issues total for this?
5: Yeah, there's a skip month in the middle because uh, when, when we uh, got I- extra ambitious on it, all of <laughs> a sudden, it, uh, I think issue two is like 23 pages and then 24 pages and then the last issue is 24 pages. So we had to give... Troy a little more room, so we have a skip month in the middle, but we'll be done by end of the year. So cool, uh,
0: and it'll end up being a discrete story at the end. People oh, will be yeah. like, "Yeah,
5: great. yes, yep, yep, yep." And the uh, w- I mean, the last script is done. We're just basically putting the last little tweaks on it. Uh, uh, Troy's deep in issue three, finishing up issue three <laughs> uh, uh, line art, and uh, yeah, and someday sanity will return. It's good. <laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> He's as deep as the chocolate is in that peanut butter right now. That's
5: right. I mean, well, and I think what's been so fun about it is the indulgent aspects of it. Like uh, issue three has references to the old D and D Saturday morning cartoon. Nice. Oh, like nice. we've we've got tons of first edition stuff. Jim, and Jim, Jim. Oh, sorry. <laughs> they all die. They all die at
0: the end, right? At the end of issue three, right. and then I'm they have just to saying, get resurrected. Talking
1: Dude, about please, issue three, I'm leave, leave, very we're talking
3: to the hardcore here. It's okay. Please leave a little. Oh, this is not a, just millions of people watch it. Let let it be a surprise. That's <laughs> let, true. Let things be a surprise.
0: So, we'll just roll back the tapes uh, five no, minutes.
3: I no, no, no. I just, I just wanted to, to gently well, the, put on the, the break there before anything got revealed that was really. The cover to
5: issue three has already got the it's it's out there in the wild, and that's got the uh, the dungeon master from the old Saturday morning. Cartoon. I love
0: that, Pat. You're being the the, the Don Cheadle of this organ of this interview right here. You're like, no, 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 don't spoil
3: <laughs> what happens here at the end. I've always I've always been vehemently non spoiler like. Uh, um, Uh, in, in, in all my different types of media, there's, uh, you only get to, you only get to kiss somebody for the first time once and you don't want to wreck that. So
5: Mm. especially with that luxurious beard,
0: (laughs) 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 you want to wreck it for the person who's receiving that kiss, right? They can only do that once. Gorgeous (laughs)
5: It's gorgeous
0: <laughs> Excellent Well what else uh, I know you guys are all Working on a thousand Million other projects uh, But what uh, You know Anything to hint at for, for what's to come In the next few months Other than these Awesome books
5: What are you working on Pat
3: um, I'm actually working With Nate On uh, on a comic project um, That we've got A few offers in on But It's likely that we Might just kickstart it Um It's the comic adaptation of uh, The Boy That Loved the Moon. It's a story out of my world. Um, And he and I have been roughing out the thumbnails and the paneling. I mean, it's, I mean, working with um, a team on on this this comic project has been great. Um, And there's been a remarkably light amount of oversight from the IP holders. But um, like me and Nate work really well together and being able to really just go ahead and do our own things and be answerable to no one is a real delight. So we're, we're sort of playing around there and mostly making ourselves happy. And, <laughs> and that way, if we want to publish it as an entire volume instead of a series of whatever, we don't have to worry about hitting like a 20 or a 22 or a 23 issue arc just to satisfy, like, a, a, an individual comic retailer thing. We can write the whole story as it maybe belongs as a graphic novel. Uh, but then maybe once we're done with it, we'll look at it. And if it breaks up reasonably well into pieces, then maybe we'll consider that for a larger release or, or something like that. But uh, that's one of the other things. You know, some stories going on. I'm working on the Hollywood, the TV show and the movie thing. Um, How's that there's, going? There's, it's, it's an interesting world. Yeah. An
0: interesting <laughs> world. That's, that's, yeah, that's about as much as we get from, from yep. the D&D side of things, too. We're like, all right, yeah. that's, a, that's, interesting. that's a more ass yeah. of, uh, of fun that we are getting sucked into. <laughs> 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 what about you, Jim? I know you got lots of other, uh, uh, you know, your Avengers titles, all that. What's, yeah, what's... I'm
5: juggling quite a few comic projects. So I've got um, the monthly book I do at Marvel is called Champions. And it's sort of the young heroes of Marvel. So it's a bunch of these um, younger heroes. Some of them used to be Avengers, and they quit the Avengers because they felt like that the Avengers had lost their way and they wanted to get back to what was really important, like making the world a better place and sort of fighting for a world that, that they're going to stand to inherit in the future. So you've got characters like uh, the young Ms. Marvel. You've got Miles Morales, Spider-Man. Um, you've got Riri Williams, Ironheart, uh, Viv Vision, the daughter of the Vision, uh sam alexander nova uh, uh natty of andyne the wasp all these characters kind of brought together along with a new character that i created called snow guard and um we're doing all sorts of classic sort of teen superhero stuff but the upcoming story that starts in october actually takes them to this sword and sorcery side of uh the marvel universe called weird world hmm. and i'm making no delusions of the fact that it's a big you know my D and D self is is a big influence there. Nice. Two of my favorite stories when I was growing up were there's a story in Uncanny X Men one ninety 190, one ninety one where Manhattan gets turned into a fantasy world and the Avengers and the X Men all get turned into these fantasy characters huh. and that was like pure joy to me when I was a kid because it was like my two favorite things superheroes and D and D coming together uh, and then there's a two part story that came out as well in the eighties. Uh, where the X Men go to Asgard, and so it's like, oh man, mythology crashed into superheroes is one of my favorite things, and so um, I'm really taking a lot of those influences and doing this three part story that starts in uh, Champions number twenty five and doing this big wild sword and sorcery story, and it's being drawn by Max Dunbar, who drew oh. Legend of Baldur's Gate. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, I think he's in the building I think right he is
1: now, too. or he was. Is he? Is he, was he, he?
5: Yeah. Um, excellent. Just grab them, drag them into the studio. Exactly. Yeah. Get So to work. yeah, Legend, Legends of Baldur's Gate, the book that uh, he and I did together at IDW, the first sort of fifth edition d comic, and so I have pulled him into the Marvel fold to do this sword and sorcery story. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, at the same time, I'm wrapping up my creator-owned series Wayward, which has been published in Image since 2014, so issue 30 comes out, and it's the big climax, and that'll be out at Halloween, and it's going to be just this wild apocalyptic finish uh, for all the characters and all the plot lines that we've been sort of spinning together. Uh, I've got more D&D comics coming in 2019 mm-hmm. and other projects that will be announced probably at New York Comic Con. Sweet, man. That's wow. that's yeah. too
0: much. That's too much to list. It's, it's a
5: little bonkers. You
1: guys yeah. make it sound like writing comics is like something you just do in a day. I mean, <laughs> how do you have time to do all of this? That's a lot of stuff you both just rattled off that you're working on.
3: I would like yeah. to to really, really make it clear that comics is something you don't do in a day. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would I would like to share that one of the major things that I've learned over this process <laughs> is that comics just don't happen in a day. Oh, that, that that's because that's what I took away from this. There's oh. <laughs> fewer words doesn't no. mean that it's easier to write. No. Um. In fact, like it's the. I know, I know why it works this way, but like these email threads. <laughs> there's
0: like, Your there's body a, language right now is like basically my world.
3: You know, <laughs> there's this program called Slack and it's designed so that oh multiple people can get together and discuss a thing. And you don't, it's not like looking into a Cthulhu an abyss. <laughs> Could I, can please bring this to the process, <laughs> you people? Because it's like, how about we have eight people discuss something on a on a thread with eighty messages in it? Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the thing is, I know that typically, like, they're used to this, whereas like I usually go off and I write a thing, and then I talk to a couple of people about it one on one, and then I'm like, hey, here's the thing, let's copy edit it because now it's done. Right. And instead, there's these, this this. This very important, and I'm sure essential, and reasonably <laughs> derived process of approvals that uh, requires so many emailings back and forth. Oh
0: yeah, um, lots it, of electronic mail
3: experience for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. See now, Slack. You mentioned it, when you're like in the email like work zone, adding in a Slack thing just means like, okay, now I have two programs I need to be right. watching that are not on the same level. And it's okay. Now I have this other, and social media gets added onto that. Now where like people, you know, we're using d- Twitter direct messages as a form of communication. <laughs> so now we've got three things that I've got to watch. It quickly becomes even worse. But so, it's, 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 it, the, the goal is to get everyone on one thing, I think. And, well, then,
3: and, and, and the truth is it's, it's mostly that like I've recently transitioned by email and the way that Google threads messages is profoundly counterintuitive to me. And so, like, if I'm, if I'm up and I'm watching emails come in, I can participate. And if I miss a day, it's like, well, You're out. I, guess, yes. uh, yeah. I guess I guess I just will never know what happens on the rest of this thread. Uh,
0: <laughs> and then, J- Jim, I don't know if it's Canadian email or something like that, but your messages seem to put your the threading is, like, below the message that I just sent you. Your reply is, for some
5: reason. Right. I don't yeah, know like- like it's screwing this up. It's in French and English, and it's covered in maple syrup. (laughs) (laughs) We do things differently here,
0: okay? Yeah, all I see is you with, like, red maple leaves (laughs) over your eyes. That's right.
5: That's right. I I come in, and I just say bonjour, and then I just write the whole thing. (laughs) Backwards. But you know what's really great, though, is that in the the process, you know, the Canadian-ness comes through. I just say I'm sorry over and over (laughs) <laughs> and the whole thing gets done. It's really powerful.
0: It is. Uh, it's yeah. true. Well, thank you guys. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, we're at uh, we time here. Yeah, we're yeah. We actually have a, a, a yeah. Some folks coming in. So, thank you so much for spending the hour with us. I really loved it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could uh, listen to you guys talk forever and ever. So we, this should be like a weekly. Sp-
3: I know you guys do that the live stream going. Yeah, with the team
5: talk more. I love it. Hey Pat, it's an ongoing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <No>. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like eventually I'll I'll hit my stride. Um, <laughs> right around 28 pages I think is
5: my entire <laughs> length it is the perfect format
0: you guys are awesome thank you so much we'll uh, look for issue 2 coming next uh, next month right
5: well it's either end of this month it'll either be last week of September or first week of October uh, but issue 1 is available everywhere fine comics are sold or they're sold out you need to hit them up for reorders
0: and get uh, a different cover they,
5: yeah they collect they all the covers. yeah
0: awesome cool. alright thanks guys we,
1: Thank you. (laughs) My goodness. (laughs) What a jolly interview.
0: They were jolly in a. I'm trying to rhyme with Jolly. It doesn't really rhyme very really well. Holly?
1: Holly Jolly Christmas. Yeah. Uh I think they really like each other and like working together. I think they do too. Did you get that sense? I got
0: that vibe. Yep. Yeah, that they just really jammed on uh this Rick and Murdy Murdy <laughs> Rick and Murdy versus the Dungeons and Dragons storyline. <laughs> and I can't wait for issue two, three, and four out there. You're gonna love it. You're it. <laughs> I think Shelly's right. She's lost her breath. She can't even breathe. She's laughing oh so much. God, that was so good. <laughs> say you're a you're good. gonna live You're gonna lure You know, Woo! you didn't. You're not the only one with some vocal talents oh, there, wow. Shelley.
1: Really impressed with that.
0: Yeah, you might gonna have to whip out yeah. a C-3PO at some point just to deal. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Uh, That's very quick. You can just drop into
1: it now. I'm so used to it. I do it at home all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're
1: going to love it. You're gonna love it.
0: You're going to love
1: it. I might have to listen to this podcast just so I can hear you say that again.
0: Nice. Uh, you will. <laughs> You'll have to. I do? Yeah. It's your, it's, your, it's your homework. Oh, my God. Um. So we mentioned uh a couple of fun stuff, but we didn't mention – Access and Allies and Zombies,
1: hey, which is popping out pretty soon. Popping out in October, October 26th. There
0: will be a zombie apocalypse happening in
1: 1941.
0: Maybe. We are reverse engineering history.
1: Alternate history
0: edition. I think the zombies are going to win. What do you think?
1: That happens.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Pretty often.
1: Well, sometimes.
0: They're, they're hard to contend with, those zombies. Sometimes they help. Yeah, if you use them wisely
1: sometimes they don't
0: but it's a cool way to think about the axis and Allies strategy with this wild card of the zombies yes. going on you haven't got no idea what you if you thought you had tried and true um strategies that were the only way to just play with germany like you know buy lots of tanks cuz yep. that's what germany does and they just roll over russia that's all you got to keep doing uh uh-uh. uh that ain't going to work bro it doesn't work cuz you'll strategy be making zombies
1: changes yeah. zombies pop up every single Turn and you don't know where they're gonna be. And if there's a,
0: a big battle with lots of casualties, yeah. guess what? Zombies. Zombies. So, boom, shackle What are you gonna do? It, it, it like encourages small, little surgical strikes. Yep. Surgical strikes.
1: Is that your strategy? <laughs> I
0: don't know. I I've only I played tested it a couple times, but I never really found a winning strategy. It was so very my...
1: interesting watching the Axis and players playing it. Yeah. Because they were just like. Throwing their hands up in the air, like everything okay, I know okay, about okay, access okay, and Allies is wrong. Okay, <laughs> this isn't how I play.
0: Exactly, and they made that face like, oh, <laughs> the whole totally time. They totally did. Yeah, they did. And they were the hands up in the air. Yeah, yeah. I was play acting it for uh, you.
1: You were role playing
0: and doing a terrible job. Of no, it, it was I will not say.
1: And they said, <laughs> "We're gonna love me. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna love these numbers." <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait. When does that come out?
1: October 26th.
0: October twenty-six.
1: We that's, got so much stuff. October right and November. Yeah, jam
0: packed. Bang 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 bang.
1: Hope you like shopping for games because you're going to be doing it every week.
0: We've got uh, ABCs and one two, threes of D and D. Yeah, those are coming out. Uh, they might not be. I think we were talking about October 23rd. They yeah. might might be in November when you start seeing them in stores, but definitely before the holidays. Okay, we had a lot of printing happening at one time. Uh, also, core sets, core <gasps> gift sets of the Dungeons and Dragons core oh rulebooks. Uh, they may also be uh, a week or two, a little bit uh, uh, delayed, but will be uh, in your hands before you know it.
1: And wrapped and gifted.
0: Gifted and then high-fived.
1: And high-fived. Hey, Done. Core Gift Sets. Nice to see you.
0: Where can people find out about uh, you and what you're doing, Shelley? I,
1: I just totally sorted. To you mind. sharted? <laughs> <laughs> it was my nose. We're going to have to end this podcast We're gonna have pretty to. early. Can you edit out boogers?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shelly is such a skilled voice actor That she is uh, play acting uh, The, the shards coming out of her nose <laughs> 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 Where can people find out about
1: They're not going to want to Let's be honest <laughs> Nobody wants to
0: All right, fine. We'll just skip that part if they, I mean- You could follow me at Greg Tito And ask me what's happening with Shelly And if she's okay and I, I would, I'm at
1: Shelly Moon. Oh, that's the if one. If you really
0: want to. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find out uh, about everything that's happening with uh, this game that we are ostensibly having this podcast about, you can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Yep. There's a lot there. So much. Uh you can also follow us on Twitter It's wizards underscore DND. Uh, we are also on the Facebook as well as the Instagram as Dungeons and Dragons. But one thing I always want to throw out there is Dragon plus yes get it on One your mobile stop shopping it's on uh, Android it's on iOS you can even look at it on the web at uh, dragonmag.com everything is there there's a new issue coming out in October with tons of fun stuff but it's the last the board
1: game issue the board
0: game issue super important Woo. for you who love board games uh, but the previous issue was all about kids and uh, how to get them playing in games it's- and that is also uh, near and dear to my heart
1: yeah so when i was picking quinn up from his after school program yeah i gave them the school a lot of magic cards yeah. and some D stuff uh-huh. and quinn was over in the game area with this little girl and i heard her going i don't know how to play magic and quinn goes yeah well i played dungeons and dragons <laughs> and it's really fun and she was like oh look, oh look at me. Oh,
0: that's so cute. <laughs> he's so cute. He was like cleaning his fingernails. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, I play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah,
1: I play Dungeons and Dragons.
0: My mom. Oh. She works there.
1: Quinn don't it. <laughs> don't
0: talk about your mom. <laughs> come on, come on.
1: Had, she was interested.
0: Yeah, maybe she's gonna play Dungeons and Dragons. She might know. That's
1: nice. Yep.
0: We'll invite her to our group. It'll be fun. She's five. That's what I mean. Okay. okay. To the group with my five-year-old. Oh, the your kid old
1: Yeah. When are we doing this?
0: Soon, tomorrow.
1: Okay, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs>
0: all right, we gotta go. We gotta go plan a Bye. kids. We gotta yeah. go plan a kids date. We
1: gotta do this. We gotta do it before seven before they all go to bed.
0: Uh, <laughs> 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 Lots of planning to take care of. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we had a lot of fun uh, recording this episode. Um, and one thing is really cool about Waterdeep Dragon Heist is that there's all of these pieces of gold. Um, but if you just look up here, oh god, oh, oh we're all dead.